What is the difference between being punk and being a punk? We are here to talk some punk rock, some music, comics, punk culture, DIY shit, anything we want to talk about. That's that's what fascinates. Give me everything, absolutely everything. I find that that music and comics have always been intertwined. Mux Bound. Chicks dig it. Don't worry. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Mux About. Howdy. Here we are again. Episode 13 or so. And uh, <laughs> we're brought to you by Stupid Rad Merch Company. Um, they make my favorite merch. They make my actual merch for my comic products and, um, and Mux About in general. And um, they have a hell of a roster of bands. So check them out. And cool. uh, welcome, Ben, John. Howdy. And I actually think in nice my promo shots that you snuck, I've got my, my bad cop, bad cop shirt from That's right. Stupid Rad. There's a Stupid Rad shirt. Yep. <laughs> Very nice. Um, and how you guys doing? Good. Yeah, it's been, uh, uh, it's been busy. Yeah, man, you, yeah, had man. A, you had a streaming release come out this weekend, buddy. Yeah, we did on Saturday. Yep. Uh, the... the uh, five tracks from the new uh, album Resilience. Um, the next five are coming out in the next few weeks. Okay. Uh, mixing is, you know, completely done by us, so it's a little bit of a slower process, and we're very new, so there's a lot of learning how to do things as we're doing them. Um, that gives you a chance now to have three releases out of one, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so it, but the mixing process has been going well. I've been learning a lot uh, through it. And um, so far, the, the most interesting part was there was one song, there was three of us there. So it was me, Rui, and Ralph, the two guitarists. And uh, we listened to this one track, and it sounded like almost perfect, but there's this weird, like, hum coming from the bass line. And we couldn't figure out what it was. And so we were like all Googling different stuff and like fiddling with all the different dials and stuff, trying to figure out what was going on. And we finally were able to isolate the frequency and narrow it down. And it was like everybody high-fived each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, it's, it's good to learn how to do that stuff on your own. Cause like the most, the biggest advantage I would say is that when we get an audio engineer down the road for other stuff, we know if we're getting dicked around. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, knowledge is power. So. I would suggest yeah. any new musicians that are doing stuff nowadays, just learn how to do it like yourself, even if it's bad. The goal is not, the goal I think isn't uh, like a well-produced song. It's a song that you want it the way you want it to sound. And um, people will be forgiving for poor production if the song is good and the, and the energy is good. Um, but it, you know, I mean, the radio is full of overproduced songs that have nothing to say. So, I think in general, in almost anything, like knowing as much as you can about the thing that you're paying somebody else to do, is going to get you a better result. That's very like, true. Come, I mean, coming out of like art school, a lot of that stuff was necessity for me. I wanted to get a job, but you needed a website. But you're a poor college student, so you learn how to right. build a website. Yep. And now, now I do that stuff for myself, but. If I was going to hire a web person, I, I feel like I would get a much better experience out of it, knowing right. how much I know about it now. Yeah. And I yeah, do hire video people and stuff like that through my job, and knowing as much as I know about uh, video production, doing it myself, I, I'm sure I get a lot better product out of people than somebody might if they didn't know all that stuff. And That's I feel true. like if you start, uh, if you even if you do pass it off to somebody else and you have somebody else doing your music production or video production or anything, if you know what you're doing, it's easier for you to tweak it if there's little things that, you know, you don't have to go back to the original person because you can at least do those little tweaks on your own. You know what you're doing. It's not like you're just stuck. So it's nice right. to mm -hmm. have that knowledge in place. So. 100%. Yeah, and in that vein, like the thing that really benefited me um, coming into this, because this is the first time I've actually been participating in in uh, the engineering of of the the mix 
for the most part, is just I record the drums and then it disappears into the ether for like, you know, three months, yeah. six months, a year or whatever. And then I hear the finished product or I'll hear various stages. And I'll like, I never know like how things were changed. I just noticed the difference. Yeah. But um, the thing that's benefited me is, is I have an endless curiosity. So like whenever I've been in a room where a mixer is, you know, being fiddled with, I'm always like, how do you do that? And what did you do to this to make that sound the way it, it does? And then, you know, the best thing about audio engineers is they love explaining stuff. So if you go, how did you make the guitar have that kind of like airy kind of, you know, like open sound? They're like, oh, that's reverb. So that's this thing. And that this is how the the, the signal gets transferred. And, and they'll give you the entire like Cole's notes on the subject. And then the next time I hear a song, I'm like, that needs reverb. I know exactly how to do it, where to go, and all that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very handy. Yeah, I mean, that's how you learn, right? So, like, that's the that's the major benefit is, like, I would say for any new musicians that are trying to, you know, make their own music and stuff, find people who know what they're doing and, like, just pick their brain. They want to teach. Yep. Yeah, um, like, yeah. Um, like, I've been doing video productions for a long time now, and um i'm not a great photographer though like people think those go hand in hand and they do not at all like videos right. that. Uh, but i love when we have a, um, a photography shoot with my company i'll attend them every now and then because i can learn so much from being around photographers like doing this stuff and stuff that i can take back to my video work i'm not even trying to take like a photography job from somebody but i just it makes me better to watch other people work that know yep. better how to do those things yeah it's very true. Yeah, I guess comics is like that too, you know, like when you're making indie comics, you kind of, you know, there's so many things that when I started, I luckily had good resources, you know, I had Chuck, I had, um, you know, we're, we're part of a group called the Indie Comic Conspiracy, which are very, very helpful. And they give lots of great resources and support and everybody kind of works together to help elevate each other's work. And, um, you know, that kind of community is is massive for trying to do things yourself because you know, no one ever really does anything themselves. You know, it's like right. you're building on other people's skill set. So that, that particular yeah. group I'm involved heavily in. And it's uh, the the main thing that we try to keep the focus on is growing each other. So like there's yeah. certain days you can post a Kickstarter link or whatever, but you're not going to bury us in Kickstarter links. And we're not about. Yeah. About selling things that's yeah, it's not a market days we can learn stuff about that but yeah totally yeah yeah it seems like things are so overwhelming when you first want to get into it you know um and that's you know i guess that's a good segue into what we're talking about today which is like who keeps the gate when it comes to the arts you know like i remember when I was in art history class in university, um, I'm sure everybody that has any sort of art background knows the name Marcel Duchamp. He was a famous French artist. And um, I guess the thing, un unfortunately, I guess, uh, depending on who you are, the, uh, the most famous work that he ever did was he put a urinal in, uh, in an exhibit of his work. And when critics and, and, and interested art aficionados came around and looked at it and they, they asked him like, why, like, what is, what is this? And he said, it's art. And they said, it's a urinal. And he says, it's art because <laughs> I say it's art. Mm. And like, once you're in the gallery, you can kind of do that. Yep. Yeah. But the challenge I guess is getting in the gallery in the first place. And there are certain things you have to do, certain boxes you have to tick music's like that i think comics is like that to some degree well hell yeah when um, it comes to especially getting into like getting on the shelf like you have yeah. like two routes and that's only recent that there's two routes <laughs> yeah right totally. other than delivering stuff yourself which is hardly mm -hmm. an option yeah and is it's it really it's an option i mean it is but you you have to have it again you have to have at least enough resources to have a team that's going to contact these people and kind of cold call a lot of shops because otherwise you're pretty much going to be local and regional until, you know, 
and to be able to have the team that's going to call, you know, 50 states worth of, you know, people and try to get your shit in their shops. And then it's uh, unlikely. It's not even worth the money that you get. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, you yeah. spend more on shipping your books to these people than I was part of would. a small distributor at one point and I, it was not worth it. They were yeah. great. They were really trying something new. Well, not new, but they were trying something and trying to do it better than it's failed before. But um, it was it wasn't worth it as like for me. Well, what worked and what didn't? I mean, they had some shops that were like really cool. That they they got people like I was in like the shop in Jersey. I would never been in, um, and right. my my comic that I had out at the time was the top selling comic for them for a couple months, which was nice. Very cool. That didn't really require selling a whole lot to be the top. <laughs> yeah, um, and so like ov overall, it just. It, there wasn't just enough money in it. I wasn't even able to send out enough books to sell to make enough money to make the whole thing worthwhile. Like, so if you, if I had a publisher that was handling everything outside of the creative part, then that could make sense. But printing the books yeah. myself and getting them out, like, there's just no, there's not enough wiggle room in there for actually making profit yeah. in that route. Yeah. I think that. Something that has happened uh, over our lifetimes that has changed the game a little bit, perhaps in a good way, perhaps in a bad way, it's time will tell, I guess, is access has increased, but visibility has decreased. So like I can like I spent the entire afternoon cooking and listening to uh, like Japanese like avant-garde jazz prog music. I never would have been able to find that. I wouldn't even know it existed when I was like. Did you trip up across that when you were listening to K-pop? Did it? Was that? <laughs> Did you trip across it while listening to K-pop? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was listening to some BTS and it just, it was in the <laughs> algorithm. Um, no, but like, you know, it, that stuff never would have, even K-pop, we wouldn't really know about it. Oh, you you're right. Necessarily. Um, so like, that's an advantage, but the other, the other side of it is that it's hard to connect with the people who make the music now, where it used to be a bit more of a personal printing costs are so high right now that making it affordable for the shop means either making it too expensive for fans or making it. So there's also almost no profit for you. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. It's the cost and you know, the music scene. Music industry, I should say, because the scene and the industry are separate entities, I'd say. And the same way that the comic scene and the comic industry are different things. Nice. Um, hey, John. Um, you know, the music industry had the same issue where, you know, uh, probably the most famous story from when I was growing up was TLC, who um, declared bankruptcy on the same day that their, uh, their album released as number one on the Billboard charts because the way that the industry worked was that the labels would basically have you sign a deal with the devil and you would owe excessive amounts of cash, even though you were forced according to the contract to participate in all these kinds of where's the Eric's here, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Right here. <laughs> Just keep drinking. Chuck. It'll get, everybody will look better. How <laughs> about music too? Like the yeah, the costs. I've so like I had a EP recorded of Blister, and like just getting that made could be a ton of money. Like I was lucky to know people that helped me out, and it didn't cost me more than you know a few hundred bucks or so. But yeah. um, like getting CDs made was nothing. But like I want to get it pressed, and like getting small pressings on vinyl is not really worth it. Like unless I want to. Like Chuck said, like sell it at a cost that is ridiculous for the end user. Yes. And so I will like I've I've often I've created products that I basically end up selling at cost so that in the end, maybe they don't maybe they didn't cost me anything and I didn't make anything out of them. But I wanted to get this thing out there. And so I've done yeah. that several times. That's I think that's almost common too common for art. Yeah, I think a lot of creative folks will do that trade-off to be able to get their work out into the world and to see it out there and have 
people that they know will actually enjoy it, have it in their hands is huge. I get that. But yes, it is not cost effective and it's a labor of love. We all do it because we love it. And yeah, for many, many years I've done, yeah, music journalism. I've done, you know, comic editing and comic writing. And I just, yeah, I probably made about, you know, maybe a couple grand in like 10 years. You know, <laughs> So it's, it's not anything I'm making a living off of, but it's, it's something I have to do because it, as you two are also very well aware of, you have to do it because if these thoughts just live in your head, it's just going to, you know, it needs to get out. It needs to get out mm -hmm. into the world, but yeah, you ain't making a living off it. So, well, you know, I was, um, so I was hanging out with my, uh, my sister yesterday and we were having a conversation about this cause you know, we were talking about the, uh, my band's new release and they were asking, you know, like, um, how does it feel to have the music out in the world? And, um, you know, the response we've been getting has been like far, far more, um, positive than I'm used to. Usually it's like, Oh, we have a new song out and people are like, see ya. Um, whereas this one, people are really digging the music and I'm trying to figure out, I've been trying to figure out like what the difference is between the stuff I've done in the past and the stuff I'm doing now. And I find that, and this is anybody that I've been in a band with before, not necessarily talking about you, but I'm just talking about my experience. I've been in a lot of different projects. Some of them lasted two days, you know, mm -hmm. but I've worked with a lot of musicians where the goal was to be famous. And so there were certain things that they felt they had to do. This is where the gatekeeping comes in, where there's like certain steps that you're supposed to take and any band manager that has industry connections or any, um, you know, producer that gets involved in a project tends to have this sort of mentality, which is, okay, you've done this. Now we have to do this. And now we have then, you know, step three, step four, step five, and then you'll play the arenas. Uh -huh. And like, I've never had that in, in my um, plan. My plan has always been get good. Uh -huh. And I think if you're good, then you'll be successful. But if you're trying to just be famous, I don't know if you can do that without being good. <laughs> you know, I mean, clearly you can. <laughs> I don't want to be in a band with people like that, you know? Well, get good um, and entertain the people that are coming to, out to see you too. You want to make sure yeah. that you're, you know, there's people that are good technically that get up on stage and just, I've seen plenty of bands that get up there and they've gotten good but they don't move and they're just sitting there and they're not, sure. they're not there for the audience, which, you know, it's kind of give and take. I t totally get that some people, this is their passion and they just want to get up there and play the music. But, you know, we've talked about this in, on the show before that the audience is an integral part of that. You need to be able mm -hmm. to play to them and they need to be able to feel like they're part of the experience and that they're yes. there with you. So yeah, it's huge. If you can connect on that level with your fans and your, you know, people coming out to see you, that's just such a huge part of it to me. For sure. Yeah. I think, I think we're talking about two sides of the same spectrum and it's yep. kind of like a horseshoe where like, as you approach both sides of the spectrum, they end up looking similar mm -hmm. where like you're, you know, yeah, I've, uh, you know, I've known a lot of really technically proficient people who are really, really like talented with their instrument, but the stage presence wasn't there. They, and in many cases they would have a mentality of like, I'm good enough that they should like me anyway. And it's like, mm -hmm. right. I don't know, man. I, I don't know much about Bill Gates. I hate, I hate windows, you know, like it, it doesn't matter how talented he is as a programmer. I can't appreciate it because I'm not a programmer. So that's, yeah. you need to be able to relate to people on a different level. And simultaneously there's people who don't put in the actual work to like develop songwriting talent and like get collaborative with other people and step outside of their comfort zone. And they're just trying to um, master banter and play songs that they think will get people uh, clicking on their, at least streaming their music. And that is short-term solution to a long-term problem, which is remaining relevant. Yep. And as, the, as the winds shift, it, you know, you have to be, you have to be comfortable with adapting. I've seen a lot of people talking about like the death of the album and yeah. now the singles are ruled and singles used to rule the day, like especially in physical media. 
mm-hmm. 45s were the big seller back when that was when vinyl yeah. was new. Yeah. Uh, and so but it's like the, the single also used to be a completely different thing too, because like we said, it's kind of the death of the old system where it used to be a recording industry that was kind of pushing not preservative of the whole album. You'd get you know, you get hooked on this one thing and then you're like, this whole album doesn't sound anything like that one song that I just bought, you know, bought the single for. Then you buy sit down by the whole album and you're like, you know, first people like us, yes, we're gonna sit down and listen to the whole damn thing and we're gonna love it probably. But there's right. people that hear the radio single, go out and buy the 45 back in the day, and then get it home and listen to the whole album and go, but that's not what I paid for, you know, and it's like right. But it was, you know, you just didn't, you know, now we have the ability to research it a lot more because you can stream it. You can, you know, check out those singles before the full album comes out and everything. So it's it's a different shopping method of, yeah, getting to the album if they put out an album. Yeah, but I think, you know, what you're talking about with the 45s and stuff, that was a limitation of the technology. We didn't to get uh, to get 90 minutes of music on a record the record would have to be like the size of this room you know I mean? like it was just getting to a point where it's unreasonable to expect and like they you weren't building turntables that big it's just not <laughs> stupid oh no that's what not what i was saying record? that's not what i was saying i was just saying because you're expecting the one song per but they'd kind sure. of cherry pick that one out one catchy song that you know wasn't necessarily representative of the album that's all i was saying it's the no, one that totally keeps back like, off, man. No, yeah. <laughs> no, more what I'm saying is like the album was like a like an innovation because um, the the original intent of the LP was to sell a single, and then once they once bands started having a little more creative control over what was happening, they wanted to create concepts and explore concepts, and that was kind of the advent of the album, and so it was also a way of using up as much of the vinyl as possible for the, uh, for the producers, because um, you know, the, the, the actual LP costs the same amount, whether there's 10 tracks on it or two tracks on it. So better to get your money's worth and try and get as much music crammed on there as possible. And then the artists were kind of like geared towards doing that as well. So it worked to everyone's benefit, but now this isn't a limit of the technology. This is an intentional kind of, like forced narrowing of the the process through algorithms where like they've been telling musicians, you know, over the last few years, like the, the window of time to catch a listener has shortened more and more as years go on. It used to be that you had 30 seconds and then it was like 15 seconds and now it's like less than 10. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I mean, if you're if you're going to decide whether or not my song's good in the first 10 seconds, I don't think you're into music. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's kind of like choosing your favorite comic book based on the first panel. Like, I do you want to read the story or are you just looking for a pretty color? I don't know what I don't know what we're doing here. It's well, more about it usually hardly ever sells a comic. It usually is that first page is that sells a comic. <laughs> I think that's, I actually personally feel, maybe you guys can push back on this a little bit, but I personally feel that that's a misconception. I felt that, uh, I, I think a bit similar to the, like the idea of advertising. Remember that Simpsons episode where they have the bear patrol because there's the one bear that goes into town. And so they like finance this entire like police force to protect everybody against bears. And then after they pay for it and the helicopters are flying across the sky and stuff, Homer's sitting on his driveway. He's like, see, no bears. It worked perfectly. <laughs> like, that's how I feel advertising works. It's yeah. like everybody keeps paying for advertising, but no one ever stops to think. Like, no one's like, you know what? Let's take a day off and just see if we still sell the same amount. This is my job, man. <laughs> <laughs> No, Don't with the exception the of Stupid Rad merch. Stupid Rad merch are fantastic, and we will promote them to death. But everyone else, no, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, wonder if it comes it's the to comics, When it comes to comics, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the... Um, sure. The, like, I think that the cover and the first few pages of art are what sell the book initially. The story is what makes you buy the next one. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I guess I'm talking about like sustainability of it, right? Yeah, because you can't be selling covers for the rest of time, <laughs> right? 
you know, I mean, cover artists can, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that covers are what keeps the biz- the comic business afloat. Hmm. Variant covers and all that. So there's yeah. something to be di- dissected there. Yeah, but, you know, that makes me wonder, like, you know, in the, you know, we've talked before about how um, people always say that there's no good music these days or that there's no good movies or no good comics or whatever. And maybe it's like, maybe they're right. Maybe there's something lacking in the mainstream that is just a lack of substance. Like, I used to be intrigued by. Like, I would absolutely buy albums because the cover, I was like, that's fucking sick. And I would just buy, I didn't even know the band or nothing. Yep. But the package was worth it. Like, the album was cool. And, like, you know, I could trust the people at certain music shops to curate and put in good stuff. And so I didn't have to question whether or not I was going to buy a dud. Every once in a while it happened. It was usually my own yeah. fault, you know. Yeah. Um. But, you know, there was a, a community of people that were invested in elevating the art that weren't just making it um, or selling it. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that's kind of faded out with the digital age is like the curator. No, yeah, it's true. Because, like, I think word of mouth and comic shops and in music stores was that was the best fucking time in like the 90s. Oh, yeah. Early 2000s. Yeah. Just hanging out at the comic shop or hanging out at the record store and talking about bands and stopping that guy at the front counter that's about to buy some shit and <laughs> recommending something else and <laughs> yeah yeah but isn't that gatekeeping it's like there's a good kind of gatekeeping right where you're like you're gonna buy that shit come on man <laughs> no that's yeah, true. Let me elevate your like yeah palette a little bit here yeah yeah that's how i got oh, yeah man. i remember back in the day that's how i was sold onto like creature and sandman and hellblazer and all that stuff and yeah it was all just going in and talking to the shop owner or people you you know that were regulars that you always trusted their opinion on stuff and then there'd be the you know couple guys fighting about if hulk or you know, Superman would win in a fight and then he'd be like, <laughs> all right, so they're going to do their thing. I'll be over here. But yeah, it's, it, it was so much fun. And the same thing with uh, the local music store that I always went to as a kid, it was then it was the same kind of thing you were talking about, except I used to be more into like metal back in the eighties. And so he knew, you know, he'd be like, hey, I got this new batch of weird German shit. And we'd be like, all right, man, I'll try it. And that, you know, same thing. If it had a weird cover, I was 10 times more likely to buy the weird thing with the flying skull on it. So, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah it was just an experience doing that kind of stuff. And it's, it's fun going down the internet rabbit hole and finding these new bands that are tiny and touring in vans and stuff. But, it's it's a different experience. I I liked that mm. camaraderie of knowing the you know the people that also were listening to this stuff. So it's now hopping it's, on hopping on Spotify and going through lists and things like that. That's like kind of a way around all of that gatekeeping. Even when you would like go to like even bands like gatekeep against new fans sometimes. Like mm. there, there's been a there's been that like in the I don't know like late. To, or the 2000s when like especially in punk um when there'd yeah, be like, like the post hardcore scene yeah and there's like the whole like that's not punk this isn't punk which is dumb and is a constant thing yeah. since the beginning of punk probably like what's punk and what's not and we, we talk about that in our podcast like opening like yeah. but yeah like there's bands that would shit talk like you're not a real fan and, and stuff like and you you listen to skate punk that's not real punk and like they're kind of yeah. Doing it I remember the first time I was called a poser. Mm, yep. And it was by a poser. <laughs> and I was like, this word has lost all meaning to me now. Yeah. <laughs> and it like kind of ruined the whole vibe for me. I was like, oh, I guess no one's a poser. Like if that person thinks that that's what the word means, it just means someone who's not like me. I'm like okay, maybe yeah. maybe everyone is a poser. Who knows? Right. <laughs> Yeah, to me, it's like, if you like it, who fucking cares? Like the stuff I curate for our weekly music lists. It's like, yeah, I try to be punk-ish, indie rock-ish. But, you know, if there's stuff that I think is just solid, I'm going to put it on that list because 
I know somebody's going to like it because it's a solid pick, you know, yeah. and yeah. I don't care, you know, and I, it's just mm. asinine to me that anybody would. I, I think we've talked about this in the past, but, you know, people use the term guilty pleasure. And so, you know, mm-hmm. and that's one thing that I've always said is like, you know, there should be nothing you're guilty about. If you like something, you like something. Just own it. You know, I know, yeah. you know, when you're, you know, a teenager or in your early 20s or whatever, a lot of people are very judgmental about your shit. But once you get past a certain point, it's like, who cares? Who cares what anybody thinks? If you like it, you like it. Have fun. You know, John Westhoff, if you're still listening, uh, John says it's OK to listen to Ace of Base. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Go nuts. Put that right in that playlist with Minor Threat and everything else. Don't give a Hell shit. Yeah. Do what you want. <laughs> if you got a good yeah, transition find it <laughs> yeah i love that shit i and and um like i think you know another thing that would be very powerful to make a comeback and this will definitely tie back into the gatekeeping is public radio like just mm. having someone who has a killer record collection or just good taste or has good friends that like make music and they just have an hour or two or more that they just put music out into the world, into the air that other people can listen to that exposes them to stuff they may not have had access to. And also that that person's personality gets expressed through other people's art. That's something that I really loved about radio back when I was young was like, it wasn't just the music. It was the DJ, the George Strombolopoulos. Everybody knows that guy's name now, but I remember when he was a DJ for a very small hour-long section on on Edge 102 here in Toronto called Punkarama. And that was kind of his early days, was as the guy who was into the heavy shit. And he got an hour of time on the radio to play whatever he wanted. And he would talk, not just listen to the music, but talk about punk rock and talk about like political stuff and like tie it into the music that he was playing for everybody. And it created a consciousness that... Um, you don't get from a playlist, you know? Um, but again, with gatekeeping, it's like, we can't even do that because I don't know a whole lot about radio and why radio crashed and burned the way it is. I know it has to do with corporations. Um, but I do, I do know a guy that used to be a, um, big Chicago VJ or DJ. Um, and he did the same sort of thing. It was like an hour long Sunday show where he played, it was a local music showcase. So he would play like, uh, you know, local H, Smoking Popes, like yeah. all, all these bands before they were big or even right. when they were big, they'd come in and do shows and on his on his show. And I found most of my favorite stuff back then through that. Um, now he's into podcasting. Be interesting to get him on the show, actually. You should reach out. Yeah. Because um, I'd be curious. Yeah. Like uh, he talks, he, he does post a lot about radio and how like the failings of radio, but I don't really be interesting to dive into that deeper. And I think a lot I of think... it is purely commercial radio is kind of what kills a lot of it is, you know, the advertisers cater to a specific audience mm-hmm. a lot of the time. So you end up with radio stations changing format because of, you know, advertisers pulling and things like that. It's like, it's a, it's a different market. It's, it's a, and that definitely I mean, ties into gate to gatekeeping. Yeah. Yep. And I think that that's, you know, because uh, for those of you that don't know, we have little meetings off of the podcast where we discuss things like we were talking about doing some kind of radio kind of mm-hmm. show kind of thing. And Dude, it's, it's been so, a lifelong dream of mine. Yes. And I think that's part of the problem is unless you have a radio station in place that's willing to pay the ASCAP fees and things like that. Uh, and you know, to have that radio station, they have advertisers. So it's a whole, you know, snowball effect of reasons that a lot of stuff that we like don't make it on the radio because it's not as, you know, toy and popular. And I think, uh, it would be wonderful to find somewhere that would take care of the ASCAP portion of things, allow people to, like you said, have that voice, show your personality through the art that you like and sharing it with the world. And I think most of the bands that we would showcase would obviously, you know, benefit from getting the word out. Uh, 
Yeah. So I, I, I just, it's frustrating from mm -hmm. a standpoint of wanting to share that with the world, but being handcuffed without, yeah, being able to, if you're not part of a radio station proper. So, yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, on the topic of the radio, it's not, it wasn't like an accidental change that happened. It wasn't sort of like an organic shift. So I think my understanding of it is that the advertisers being blamed for how things have changed has been largely just a scapegoating, um, an excuse because, you know, the fact that the radio relies on advertising for its model is because a one particular corporation in America um, lobbied to change the laws around uh, who, who could own uh, radio frequencies. Yeah. And uh, they basically broke the antitrust laws that were in place so that they could uh, take over local and then state and then federal control of the airwaves. Clear Channel. They own almost all of the radio frequencies in America. And once they did it, this is the unfortunate reality of living in Canada, is like once something succeeds in America for good or ill, it becomes a Canadian thing. Hmm. See, I was and, about to uh, ask if we could shift to some kind of weird Canadian outlaw radio that she could hook us up with. But I'm working on it. But like <laughs> Canada had the same shit happen with another company called Chorus. Um, and they have taken over things now. Chorus are a little more, they're not as, um, money, uh, driven. I would say they, they still have, they still retain a little bit of artistic integrity, um, when it comes to how they do things, but it's become boring as hell here hmm. for radio okay. in a way that it wasn't in the past. We used to have a lot of college radio. We used to have a lot of local stations that were just doing their own thing. Yep. That's gone now. And it's a real shame. Like even, just in the last 10 years, there was a station called Indy 88 here in Toronto that started as a college radio station. And they were playing such good stuff that they ended up getting a huge uh, boost in, in listenership. And then as soon as the, the corporate eye turned to them, they were purchased. And now it all of a sudden, it was like Black Keys every day. Mm. And I love Black Keys. Yeah, but, but every five minutes is a difference. Not all day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't like anybody all day, you know, exactly. I don't even hear my own band all day. <laughs> so yeah, it just became a problem. And I think maybe the, the challenge is, I don't think, I don't think control of the airwaves should be so limited to uh, access to capital and a certain type of um, business model. I think that's the mistake is like, it's similar to what happens with, um, you know, polluting where, you know, no one really owns the river, but the person who's dumping it, it kind of owns the river after that because they've they've changed the way that it works. They've changed the ecosystem. They look the radio is the same thing. now. What's that? It's like with a cookie. You lick it and then it's yours. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The air is the corporate world's cookie now <laughs> and it's covered in their saliva. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And the problem is that the music labels were the ones like Clear Channel is a shell company and the music labels have all invested in Clear Channel. And so now they get to control what gets put on there. And so local bands don't get any power because the DJs yep. have no power. Yep. And everything's become this sort of like wooden, you know, you know, faceless kind of everything sounds the same. It's all formulaic. And I have immense hope at this at this time because every great music movement has started with this boredom mm -hmm. and banality yep. in in music and it's not just in music i mean look around it's like it's the strangest moment i've ever experienced where everybody knows something weird's going on no matter where you turn you look around and you're like that's a billboard now or like that's that's the music they're playing on the radio now or that kind of thing. Like it all feels kind of like you're look, like someone has pasted up some stuff on the window and you can't see in the room anymore. Yeah. That's how it feels everywhere now. And we all know that this isn't right. And there's some tension in the air 
we all look in each other's eyes and we're like, you see this? And we're like, yeah, I see it. No one's really saying anything. But like, this is the moment usually that things start getting interesting in the arts because yep. we're the outlet. Right. Yep. Even I was, the escape valve. I was watching something with my dad yesterday at his house on TV and a commercial came on for a Magnum PI. And I was like, there's a Magnum PI show? And my dad was like, do they make anything original anymore? And my dad is like so far off or like disconnected from this stuff. And even he saw that, like the yeah. originality, like we're just churning out the same shit again. Yeah. Right. And I feel like, yeah. you know, you might be onto something, Ben, with like maybe this is right before, you know, with COVID, everything changed with distribution and how we got together and you know things like you know billy when he came on and was talking about how you know he's doing a different method by doing things online and mm -hmm. maybe it's we're outgrowing the radio station and we're about to find before they outlaw that we're hopefully maybe we can find a new method of gathering and getting that stuff out to people so that it's not just this exactly the same song on the hour every hour and it just seems like you know when i was working in a factory for the longest time i would be out there and just just about to like claw my own ears off because it would be the exact same stuff every hour and it was just scary as shit and i'm like how do people deal with this some people tune into this because they like the repetition and i just don't understand it i like i will have you know my million songs on streaming on shuffle constantly because i don't want double up i want to hear like complete different stuff all day long and it just drives me nuts that that's the yeah. model that's out there but even well, using these other um, avenues like twitch and things like the gatekeepers have their hold on it like all the way down at the core like yeah that's the problem. Unless you're Billy, who creates a new right. song on the spot and doesn't doesn't have to worry about any of that. Yeah, That's yeah, there's potential in that for sure. But like, even in you know, in my most paranoid moments when I'm on you know my third joint, I tend to think that there's an intentional, uh, uh, like an intentionality to the repetition of the radio. You know, like when. When COVID hit for me, what I did, because <laughs> I think everybody had a little obsession for a while because they were isolated and so that we all found a way to kind of cope. My obsession was psychology because yeah. I was like, I was like, whatever happens, shit's going to get weird after this. Yeah. So I want to yeah. know how people's brains work. So I'm kind of prepared for whatever gets thrown at me. Yeah. And what I learned is like the human mind is is not as separate from the environment as as we tend to think like we are kind of products of the environment we, we exist in and so because the three of us were able to live in a fairly dynamic environment that had a lot of novelty and a lot of opportunity to kind of step outside of your comfort zone that's what we're good with and we seek out new information because we've learned the value of that but if you grow up in an environment where everything is curated to um, not offend and not question and not challenge. It results in people who don't offend and question and challenge. And it kind of keeps everything on an even keel. And I'm not saying that this is all intentional. I'm saying it could be. It seems like it's working in that way, but you know, it, you know, what you said earlier, John, about, you know, before everybody outlaws this, we need to, you know, come up with a, with a new, a new method. I don't know. One of the things that appealed to me about punk rock was saying, fuck the rules. So maybe we don't wait. Like maybe if it gets outlawed, we do it anyway. You know, fuck them. What do we care? They're not doing us any favors anyway. And yes, I am advocating for breaking the rules <laughs> publicly. <laughs> I don't care. Come I find wanna, me. Ceases. I just want to keep my house, Ben. I just want to keep my house. I was going to say, it ain't you. Muxpot yeah, would like to say that Ben Cook is going to pay all bills that are associated <laughs> with right. our legal yeah. fees from here on. Yeah, okay, here we go. Yeah, right. Lawsuits that way. You see? You see how quickly that happened? You guys are gatekeeping me. I ain't gatekeeping shit. I'm just saying I can't lose my house. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. 
you know, but that's that's part of the issue, right? Is like the risk yeah. of trying to do it your own way is so severe yeah. that it outweighs the reward in every like respect. Ski masks and voice changers. That's and what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, if we can do it that way, and and certainly yeah, if you actually, see ski masks, it's not us. It's not Mux about <laughs> right. Can we? <laughs> Can we do episode 14 with like voice changers and ski masks and just be like the the original creators have stepped away and <laughs> it'll be They're all in like us. magazine cutout letters and shit for the background yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, we'll call it Spuck Mount. Yeah. <laughs> the cargo pictures in my mouths there. <laughs> do you guys uh listen to Mask Intruder? I've you know I, I have heard them, but I I no, I don't really often. Okay, but they're awesome. But ben, if you don't know who they are, they they all wear ski masks on stage. Yeah. So it's who like, is this? Sorry, uh, Masked Intruder. They're like a poppy punk band, and they uh, never heard of them. I can't remember where they're from, but they're freaking awesome. And they just uh, they do this whole. They're all like you know outlaws, and you know there's yeah. cops involved, and in it. it's 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 a fun like gimmick. Basically. That's cool. They're awesome. <laughs> You know, that's something I loved about Slipknot back in the day. I, I was never, I never listened to Slipknot, even though Joey Jordison is like a legend on the drums and like they have a, they have a sound that I would probably really enjoy. They were just, I was, I used to be very anti-hype. And so like every time people were like, oh, Slipknot, I was like, okay, another reason to give them another year. Right. And now they're just completely off my radar. Yep. But something I really respected about them throughout their time was how they were able to keep their anonymity through like uh, an actual feature of their their sort of, I don't know, market, uh, you know, their product yep. was that you didn't know who you were talking to. And, and it meant their interviews were really fun to watch because they had no risk to someone coming to their house later on and being like, you know what you said, made my daughter think this and say that. <laughs> like, couldn't find them. Yep. You didn't know who the hell they were. So like there is some power to that. Maybe we maybe that's another another thing we could add to this is a little bit of anonymity makes you know keeps the gatekeepers at bay a little bit. Ben's gonna have a full guar costume last week <laughs> next week. He'll have to back that camera off of the spikes and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have the anonymous logo over my face. Yeah. <laughs> When I actually started this Muxbot thing, um, me and a buddy were starting to do some stuff, and I actually took on the name. I'm, actually, my Twitter handle is Herbo Muck, and we were going to have all the last names of anybody involved was going to be Muck um, as a... <laughs> get behind that. Names. So <laughs> maybe we can work on that. <laughs> uh. So um, what do you guys think could be... Um, like, what would you want to see in a revived scene uh, that that you think would help limit the gatekeeping that has been allowed to happen for so long? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously I don't have a solution, but I, it's really fucking annoying that we can't play music on our show. Yeah. Even if a band tells us it's okay. Like yeah. the person yeah. that makes the art, we can't play it because if a month, a year, five years down the line, they their catalog is owned by some corporation. Not only could they do a cease and desist to take it off your show, silence that part of your show, but they could just straight up come at you hardcore, like with lawsuits and fines. Okay. Like I've seen that at, at businesses with um, Getty Images. They used an image that they didn't know was owned by Getty Images, and all of a sudden they owe six grand. And it'll be like um, a non-profit, not-for-profit organization like that's doing something good yep. for people. And all of a sudden, yeah. a corporation comes out of nowhere with this giant bill that they just have to pay. That out of, it's just it's insane. So like that, that fear and also just everything is so complicated, too. So you don't even know. Like it's better just to not because you just don't know. That's part of what I was talking about, like how it feels like it's by design. All of it's by design is like. The only reason you would make it needlessly complicated is so that people don't get involved. You know, like how many times have I gone over a terms of service yeah. for an app or a game or something like that? And I'm just like, I get, I get past the, the 30th line of like explaining what the definitions are in the contract. And I'm like, I don't care, man, whatever. 
Legal like, documents just, aren't made for people. They're made for people that write legal documents. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. But they're not the, the people who make the documents aren't the ones that sign them. Right. Yeah. It does. It doesn't make sense. Like that's the, that's the thing that, that I can't keep getting past or I can't like get my brain past is everything seems to be kind of leading towards uh, like a, like a forced compliance through complication and confusion. It's like bureaucracy is trying to take over. Not trying. I mean, they're pretty successful thus far. Yeah. You know, even just like, I don't want to get into, I, I don't even consider this political, but it might be considered such. I don't know. But this disastrous so-called controlled burn that happened in East Palestine. Do you know about this in Ohio? Oh, yeah. 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 So apparently they declared the water safe and said they'd done testing and that everything was under control and everybody could move back. But then when they did a deeper investigation, it turns out that all those tests weren't even done by the EPA. They were done by people who had been paid for by the corporation that caused the disaster in the first place. Yeah. And the EPA even said that all the testing had been done jointly, but they hadn't even been present for the testing. And so all those tests were tainted and people's lives are at risk. And it's another example of just like all these layers of bureaucracy can just feed you lines and it gets so confusing. You don't even know what the truth is anymore. Like it's not just music that's, that's being affected by this is, is what I'm saying. It seems like it's a, like a concerted effort to like keep us all from just not wanting to participate at all. Oh yeah. I think the only solution to the problem is participate anyway, tell them to eat shit. Like if they say don't show up, show up. You know, if they say uh, this is no longer safe, make it safe. Yeah. Like, not just put a finger in the eye of the system, but like maybe improve the system in spite of them <laughs> <laughs> for your own sake and for your friend's sake, you know, rather than expecting it to be done for you. This is something else we talked about is how like, you know, with, with Jason, how there seems to be a tendency of people who get into music yeah. to be like, they show up and they're like, you know, the scene should be there. And it's like, you're the scene. Yeah. You know, if you don't do it, it's not happening. Yep. And I think that goes to, you know, we've talked about this in the past and but it's what we're trying to build for our community here is just build each other up, the local music scene, the local comic scene, whoever you are, and going to your point about, you know, going to shows and it, you need to build each other up. If you're on a five band bill and you jet as soon as you're, you know, if you're the first band and you jet as soon as you're done and don't hang out and like support the other bands and have a beer and get to know the people you're playing with and like build a scene. That's yeah. what, this has been about for since the seventies is should be build your scene. Like you want a yes. scene to survive, be there, survive by building up the people around you. And, you know, you don't have to love everything that, you know, you hear, right, but fuck man, people are getting out and trying to play and trying to do a good job and like, get, like I said, get that creative impulse out of your head. Cause it's going to drive you crazy. If you're a creative person, you're not getting it out into the world. So support that support everyone around you. That's the best thing you can do in my opinion to not gatekeep is just, you know, surround each other with like, you know, that support and love for the music and the scene if not the people playing it, you know, if you, you know, if you get beef with other people, fine, but still support the scene and support their freaking bands because otherwise yeah. it's not going to survive. It's going to die. Like you said, we've got enough corporations out here trying to, you know, pass through, you know, a bunch of crap so that we just don't try to put our shit on the radio. Don't try to work our way around the radio. So go out and do it locally, have fun with, you know, your local bands and everything. And, all right, yep. that's enough. I'm off my soapbox, but you get what I'm saying. It's it's I do. you know, it's you know, there's enough bands that are barely making it between gigs for gas money. They're, you know, you know, now I'm hearing there's like, you know, places uh venues are charging 
like rental fees for like merch tables and shit. Yeah, I've heard so some they're getting a cut of merch. Tables, merch. Yeah. It's like these people are barely making their gas money to get to your next gig, and you're fucking charging them, you know, mm. for rent space or you know a percentage. No, it's like we need to all be supporting each other if anybody's going to survive this shit. The bands are getting people in the door to buy your booze. That's right. So support them. Yeah. It's yes. hot in the back of the room. Just let them have a table. <laughs> I think that might be the most infuriating part of that side of things. The that there's like this now sort of like un unnecessary conflict between venues and, and musicians now where the venues think that we're like actually like, I don't know, an opponent or a competitor with them in some way. And it's like, we've been disallowed from playing outside. Like I can't set up on the sidewalk anymore. It's not, it's yeah, right. against the law. Now I have to be in the venue to do this. You have the venue codes. You're allowed to do this. And now you're treating me like the asshole for wanting to play on your yeah. stage right. where it's like, oh, I, am I ruining your Thursday night by bringing my 30 friends out and buying your beer? Right. I'm real sorry. You know, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would you punish the people who are making the, the, the you know, they're giving the reason for people to come out and drink at your bar. That doesn't make any sense. That would be the equivalent of like throwing out your regulars. Yeah. You wouldn't be like, oh, you bought five beers, get out. You know, like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You want to make money. Yeah. Exactly. Unless you're one of those people. weird venues that does, like, you know, they'll do a show and then they'll try to get your little punk band out so that they can have their, like, you know, Mamba night or whatever, you know, some kind of weird. It's like they don't have to pay for anything because they can put on, you know, some music and have people dance and get drunk anyway. Right. But yeah, but it's like, come on, you know, this is a local arts like issue. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of the local scenes, it almost makes sense to me to have, you know, some kind of very communist, like get everybody together and like, you know, talk yeah. about that from the venue side and the art side. How can we make this work for both of us so that we're both making money and nobody's pissed off at each other, you know? Yep, so sure. it just needs to happen because everybody wants that art and music to get out there. So how do we do this and make money together? It feels like post-COVID, that yeah. should be a lot easier. Like that should exactly. be. Exactly. There's so many yeah. places that closed because of this and it's so frightening that it the remaining people should be banding together to find a way to make this work. So. Well, I feel like in a lot of ways we are, but the we're not the only ones that banded together. The people trying to um, drive a wedge between us also have been spending time organizing. And so it's just more difficult. And like, I guess, I guess, you know, if there's one thing I could add to the current scene that doesn't exist anymore is all ages shows. Oh, God. Yeah. The yeah, old matinee we shows were that. fucking great. Yeah. That's how I got into it. That's how all of yeah. us got into it. Yeah. Like we weren't allowed to drink, but we wanted to see some music. And so we waited for an all ages show. Um, in Toronto, they made them illegal oh, some years ago. Yeah. And the reason was that there were all ages shows where kids were uh, sneaking in alcohol and drugs and uh, and they were seen as like havens of, of dangerous behavior. And so the solution to the problem apparently and this drove me crazy was like, rather than, rather than deal with the parents who gave those kids the money and the, the, you know, the resources to get said alcohol and drugs, which I don't know about you, but I never had any good drugs because I couldn't afford them <laughs> when I was a kid. It's not because of lack of interest. I absolutely would have had the acid. I just didn't know where to find it and I didn't have the money for it. Um, but yeah, like I would go to the shows straight edge because it was better that than not go. Absolutely. And, you know, rather than rather than deal with the parents whose kids are causing this problem, they punished the the scene. Like music is not the cause of this. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it, it, for a lot of people, it gave people a safe place to be. Like at yeah. least, you know, and at least that's how it was when we were growing up was at least everybody was gathered together with people that had similar interests that you were, you know, you knew 
like everybody about the, there cared about the music and just wanted to see that. Yes, there were a few people doing drugs, but come on, you know, for the most part, you were people keeping some kids off off of hanging out in the weird streets of whatever town. I, I was in a little town, so it wasn't such a big deal. But you know, yeah. to the point of you know some of the bigger cities and stuff, it was what kept people like occupied in a, in a safe space sometimes. Yep. And, and on knew, top of that, yep. Sorry, on top of that, the kids who were doing drugs, if they were doing them at an all ages show, they had all sorts of people there that were going to take care of them if they had an overdose yep. or if something bad happened. Because I promise you, this is the other thing I learned about people who have addictions. They're going to do it wherever they can, yeah. whenever they can. It's not about the all ages show. They have a problem. And if they have a community to be a part of, they might find something better than the drugs to do. Yep. But if you take that away, they're just going to go do it somewhere else in private. And they're they're going to die in the yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. you can't just take this stuff away from people. So I really think, like, all ages shows have to come back. Yep. yep. We got to make that a thing. Because for sure, that was, you know, the pits when I was a kid at Little Punk Rock shows were, you knew back then that if you fell on your ass and you had a bloody nose or something like that, everybody would back up. They would scoop you up under the arm and get you off to the side and make sure and dust you off, make sure you're okay. Because you yep. knew everybody in that pit cared about you. That was the cheapest way to get water at a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I'm just picturing Aaron just like, I'm thirsty. Touching <laughs> 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 himself in the face. <laughs> Somebody's giving me water like I'm Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I literally a bum, kid. one time, literally. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? One of my most vivid memories from early days was I was, I think, 18 or 19. I went to a show for a band called Mindless Self-Indulgence. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, they were they were hilarious. And um, it was the only time I ever fell. And the pit was wild. And uh, it was at a place called uh, the Opera House. And a guy climbed up like 15, 16 feet in the air on top of one of the big PAs on either side of the stage and did a front flip into the crowd. And the crowd caught him. And I was like, you should die. You should have died. Yep. It was amazing. So anyway, I'm at the show. And I'm getting, but things are getting wild, right? And like, I'm having trouble keeping, keeping uh, my feet. And, uh, you know, I got hit from one side and then hit from the other side. And I'm down. And it was the coolest feeling in the world because, like, as soon as you drop below the cover of the people, because I'm a tall guy, so, like, I can see everything wherever I go. As soon as I drop below, the music disappeared. It was just like... I was like, holy shit. And there's just this dark forest of legs everywhere I look. And I'm like, I'm going to die. And then two arms grab me and up. And they're like, you good, buddy? Like, yeah. And they're like, all right, sweet, let's go. And then, like, push me back into the pit. Yeah. Oh, man. There's nothing like that feeling. feeling of camaraderie. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, actually, you remember that story I told you about how my wife, like, gave the kid the Kleenex after a pit one time? Mm -hmm. That was a mindless self indulgent show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like we need a place, like just as humans. I'm not I'm not saying that society should be built around this shit. We need a place for young, angry teenagers in particular to get out their their negative feelings and channel the energy that they 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 can't um, find a good outlet for. Because if they don't, it does spill out into the world. Yeah. It's not like that stuff just disappears. I think this is a good um, segue for uh, next week. We have Lawrence Lindell coming on to talk um, mental health. And, um, and I think that that's, that's true that uh, anything that's perceived as negative is like shut down and negative yeah. negative isn't, I mean, it's, it's there, like it's, it has to be dealt with. And I think yeah. this, yep. would be a, this would be a good launching point for hopping into that conversation next week. Absolutely. Definitely. Need an outlet. Ben, you got any uh, last words for about gatekeeping? Um, yeah, uh, I'm opening for my own band on March 11th. Uh, there's going to be a couple other bands there, but like 
Uh, I guess the reason I'm bringing this up in terms of gatekeeping is I've always felt like whenever I see cover bands, acoustic cover bands, they're always playing the same damn songs. And I've always been like, why don't you do deep cuts? Like, why does why do the covers always have to be ones that people know? Why can't it just be same as seeing any other band, except you're playing other people's music? They just don't happen to know the songs. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing a bunch of stuff that's familiar and we're doing a bunch of stuff that's uh, obscure. And I get to scratch a new itch. I get to sing for this one. I'm playing drums and I'm singing. That's cool. So uh, this is my way of saying, like, don't gatekeep yourself. Yeah. Just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you shouldn't try other new shit. Because uh, you might surprise yourself at what you can, yeah. what you're capable of. I dig that. Yeah. You should have somebody record that. <laughs> <laughs> shit, we're not recording. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Anything from you guys? Just for me, it's always just don't, don't gatekeep, period. Mm. Just yeah. build people up. And, you know, if people want to get into comics, music, whatever, show them the way, show them whatever you got for recommendations, let them in. Just, you know, yes. let everybody enjoy everything. And, you know, fucking yeah. tells you not to. That's so, kind of my philosophy. If it's not, it's not going to affect me. I don't give a fuck. Like, yep. enjoy what you enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you if I don't like it, but I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't. Absolutely. <laughs> right. That's a perfect way of putting it. <laughs> cool. Well, everybody, thanks for listening um, or watching. And uh, thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. We're only here because of you. <laughs> uh, I'm here for you guys. <laughs> Aww. Hey, you made it through an entire episode. Good for you. If you're looking for more, give the rest of the channel a look. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll catch you fuckers next time. Later. Muxbound.